You're listening to the Sustainable and Resilient Cities podcast at the University of Liverpool. My name is Abby O'Connor. I'm a PhD student in the sociology department and I'll be hosting this series. Welcome to today's episode. Here with us we have Chloe Stentz, who's a PhD student in the management school. Her research looks at mental health service design and delivery. And today we're going to be talking a bit about changes resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic and specific service delivery in the Liverpool city region. Chloe, welcome. Um, Can you tell us a bit about your research, please? Thank you. Yeah, so my main thesis is actually looking at addiction service delivery and specifically at women's experiences, because these services are typically very geared towards men. So I'm currently at the stage of trying to recruit for that, but because of the pandemic, as with a lot of people, I'm having to move that all online, so it's not quite as I planned it. So I'm planning on carrying out virtual interviews and focus groups with service users and providers for that. And also on top of that, the main sort of focus of this interview is I'm an ESRC funded case student, so I also work with an organisational case partner roughly one day a week. So my case partner is Steve Flat at the Psychological Therapies Unit, which is a Liverpool-based not-for-profit company. They provide a variety of psychological services and specifically in the in response to the pandemic they've developed a service called let's keep talking which is a free telephone service that offers calls to anyone up to once a day it's delivered entirely by volunteers and clients can refer themselves or they can be referred through other individuals or organizations there's no kind of formal diagnosis process or long waiting time it's normally quite a quick turnaround the service has been shared using social media and also through various like, local voluntary organisations and trade unions and things like that, it's just kind of spread through that. So my role in this is that as part of my work for Steve, along with another researcher at the university, I'm producing an evaluation of the service. So I'll be interviewing service users and the other interviewer it will be interviewing volunteers. So again, these will all be conducted over the phone or using some kind of video software. The two kind of main aims of this work are to look at the viability, effectiveness of the service in the current context in responding to the pandemic and also to look at how this might be effective going forward or how it might need to adapt going forward. So interviews will look in depth at actual experiences of the service but also at if and how clients and volunteers can see a future for the service and we'll also be exploring how this compares to any past experiences of service use or service delivery to try and better be able to draw lessons either for let's keep talking or for other mental health services. So can you tell us a bit about the context of digital and online mental health services pre-pandemic? I just want to talk a bit about whether you found that these whether these services existed before or whether being in lockdown and everything moving online has moved them along quickly or whether it has changed the pace if you could just tell us a bit about that yeah so telehealth in some form as in that's when healthcare is delivered with distance between the patient and provider so telehealth in some form has existed in mental health care for a long time and there has been increasing interest in it in recent years and um, it's been proposed particularly as a way to sort of help to compensate for the mental health crisis, the overburdening of services in the UK. Uh, However, the rollout hasn't been anything like as comprehensive as it could be. There's still some reluctance among some providers and kind of an assumption that it couldn't compare. But in the last few years in particular, with the growth of digital platforms, there has been more of a concentrated sort of movement towards telehealth than it has been 
proposed in the future. For example, last year the NHS released something called the Topo Review that was about preparing the healthcare workforce to deliver the digital future and there was a specific sort of supplementary report on mental health. So that was looking at the sort of impact and nature of a lot of key technologies under the assumption that things like digital therapies and telemedicine will become the norm. So there has been sort of movement towards this, but there was some resistance against that report. Uh, there are some people who just feel that it's fundamentally inappropriate for mental health care, the kind of relationship you need to develop. There's also a key issue with that paper in particular that all the main contributors are academics or professionals. There's no real client input and even sort of lower down staff input is quite sparse. So even though this is kind of informative about the practicalities of how telehealth might develop, there is definitely a need for more on the ground experience. Yeah, so it's obviously quite a top down review of it, which doesn't take into account what it's like to be actually experiencing those services, right? Which I think, as we all know, you know, anyone that does research knows that it's experienced so differently um, at different levels. Mm. Uh, can we just talk a bit about the, obviously the pandemics, it, you know, a lot of stuff's come out about the huge impact on, on mental health and well-being um, and the huge strain that it's, it's putting on people, you know, whether that's insecure housing or, or jobs or health. And obviously mm. we know that, you know, mental health in this country has taken a huge downturn specifically in the last 10 years kind of under austerity and and there's been huge strains on the nhs and on service delivery can you tell us a bit about kind of from your experience from your research what the pros and cons are of this method of service delivery of online delivery obviously during lockdown i understand that it was you know very much a lot of decisions being made with the best of a bad bunch we didn't really have much choice but is there do you think is there going to be a move to keep it online or keep certain services online or does does it work for certain people and, and not for others? Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, as you said, during lockdown, there hasn't really been any other options. So there has been a dramatic movement of services online and sort of rapidly transitioning that everything's been sped up. Like NHS, for example, have developed like 24 hour helplines for mental health services that were meant to come in next year. They've now been pushed forward because of coronavirus. Yeah. And then there's a lot of specific helplines like let's keep talking and also also just face-to-face -face therapy has been moved online or moved onto the phone when it's still going on at all that's kind of the only options so it's that's an advantage obviously that it is more resilient for times like this but in terms of research looking at it more broadly there is a fair amount of research to suggest that telehealth is generally comparable to face-to-face -face in terms of outcomes or it can be and there are various advantages, but there's also some potential drawbacks. So key advantages, it's generally less expensive to deliver and also cheaper or sometimes free to receive, whereas face-to-face -face normally isn't. Yep. Uh, it can be more, it can be easier for clients with anxiety who struggle to get out. It might be easier for them to be within their own homes. It can also overcome sort of geographic limitations, obviously it takes travel out of the equation. So that's another saving on time and cost. Telephone services in particular also do have some benefits in terms of accessibility over other forms of telehealth. So for example, if you're looking at something where you need to be able to use an app or even just have internet access, then that might be less accessible for older people or people that don't have the resources. Yeah. But however, there are still some issues with accessibility in any kind of telehealth. Not everyone has phones or Wi-Fi. 
which they might not need Wi-Fi for a phone service, but even to find out about it. In this yeah, case, course. you either need to be on social media or tied in with some kind of organization or someone who already, someone who has the connections to find out about it. So if you're incredibly isolated, then you probably won't find out about it. And it's particularly important during the pandemic when people are not going to be going places. So there's a question of how to reach people that aren't online. And even if people do have the kind of technology and if they are capable of engaging with it, they might not want to, or they might not want to in their own homes. Yeah. That's particularly true for people that are in abusive households, but also anyone who just doesn't want their family members or other household members to know that they're getting therapy. It kind of takes that privacy and anonymity out of it because you can't necessarily hide it if you're home all the time. Yeah, which is which can have huge ramifications, right? Because a huge part of of therapy and, and accessing that kind of support is based around the trusting relationship that it is something that you develop with your therapist or with the person that's doing the service delivery. Let's just talk a bit about the services in the Liverpool city region. So um, let's keep talking. Can you tell me a bit about the kind of the long-term viability of these services in the city region, the need for it in the city region? I've spoken about with different students about huge problems in the city region specifically in terms of lack of funding and lack of resources, you know, uh, situations that have come on the back of huge austerity cuts and then obviously a lack of funding during COVID. And then if we can just talk a bit about the specifics of the actual programme, because I think there's some really interesting points around the self-referral, which I think is a really mm. useful aspect of this programme and kind of takes out some of the barriers for people. So yeah, if you just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of underfunding, as you said, that's been a massive issue across the UK, but especially Liverpool has been particularly hard hit. There's been a lot of services in recent years. Most recently, the Mental Health Consortium was forced to close last year due to lack of funding. A lot of addiction services locally have closed down. The Brink recently closed down due to the impact of coronavirus. And there's also a particular need for mental health services in Liverpool. There's even before the pandemic, there was data from Public Health England showing this is one of the areas in the country with the highest rates of anxiety and depression. In terms of the pandemic, that's also hit Liverpool particularly hard in terms of a higher percentage of people needing to shield than pretty much anywhere else in the country. So that's a particularly high proportion of people who are vulnerable and isolated and might need someone to talk to. So in terms of let's keep talking, this is a model that's quite different from the norm in that it's based on self-referral and it doesn't rely on diagnosis in any way. So that makes it kind of more accessible than a lot of services so what are the sorts of um the sorts of barriers that would that make self-referral um a better option so is it that people struggle to get into appointments with their gps is it that gps are reluctant to make referrals to services or is it based around what we were talking about earlier in terms of some people feeling that mental health issues are stigmatized and they don't feel comfortable to to mm-hmm. actively seek out that referral from their GP, but they might feel comfortable doing it more privately and uh, with more anonymity, just straight to the service. Yeah, I think it's kind of a combination of those things. Obviously, as you said, there is a stigma. Some people won't want to go to their GP about mental health issues. And also I think there's this awareness that is rooted in truth that you do have to kind of jump through hoops if you go to your GP, even if they are very well-intentioned because partly because mental health services are so overburdened it's 
they have to prioritize people that are the most in need so you know that unless you're sort of very actively suicidal or you're going to hurt yourself or someone else then you're going to be on a waiting list for months and that kind of is going to detract you if you need help in the moment yeah and there's also the sense of the kind of binary way of looking at mental health where there's people that have mental illness and then there's everyone else who's just expected to be fine all yeah. the time whereas especially in times like this there are so many people that might not consider themselves to have a mental illness might not want to go down that route but do need support in this time and it's about acknowledging that mental health is something that everyone has and everyone might need support with at certain times i think definitely, <laughs> i think going forward as well i think that's something that you know obviously this is idealistic in terms of funding and there's huge issues and policy mm -hmm. implications from that but yeah what you've said in terms of um i think that a lot of a lot of services in an ideal world would be less about intervention at a time of crisis and more about supporting people so they don't actually get to that time of crisis. I think that yeah, uh, the idea that you only access mental health services when you are in desperate need, as you say, when you're either going to harm yourself or someone else, when actually that support throughout your life is actually really crucial, especially in times of a pandemic or on the back of austerity and loads of loads of other issues that are going on and affecting people's lives now that weren't necessarily having <coughs> as much as a significant impact on them before. That actually, yeah, services like Let's Keep Talking, where you can actually just have someone to share that burden with and you can refer yourself and don't have to go through, as you say, jump through all the hoops is really, really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the idea that sort of if you're someone that is kind of maybe reluctant to admit that you're stuff struggling or have problems and then there's this sense that you have to prove yeah. how bad things are for you or how much you're suffering or you know the state that you're in in order to get any kind of help that's going to deter a lot of people so I think having somewhere that you can just reach out to and there's no kind of real limit on what you can talk about as long as it's you know focused on what you're feeling and what's going on for you then that can make a big difference. Okay, so just one final question from me. Um, from everything that you've said, I'm just interested to know, do you think that uh, the shift to telehealth that we've seen during lockdown and the shift to digital services, do you think that they perhaps provide a more long-term solution to the overburdening that we've seen on the mental health services? Or is it that, that digital services and the combination of face-to-face -face services will work? Or is it that we're using digital services now because we literally have no choice and we should be going back to face-to-face -face as soon as possible. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to be in 100% shift to digital because that will always exclude people. Yeah. But I think this is a really good, interesting moment for looking at models of telehealth and how effective they are and how we can improve them. In some ways, it's not ideal that it's been forced to transition very rapidly, so it's not yeah. necessarily been enough, as much care put into it as there would have been, but it also is a good moment to look at how this is working and how this could work. But I do think we need to be cautious in terms of not sort of jumping the gun and saying, oh, clearly it's working perfectly. It's great. We can just move everything online because people might be grateful to have something in the moment because that is their only option. But that doesn't mean that that's the way that they want things to be forever. And also we're not looking at the people that aren't able to access it or the people that don't want to access it. So we also need to look outside of the study at people that are being excluded completely by telehealth. But hopefully through this kind of thing, we can look at the advantages and disadvantages and how people are able to overcome some barriers for moving forward. Of course, yeah. And I think that, you know, as you say, the 
with the research that you're doing now with Let's Keep Talking is really crucial in terms of you and the your co-researcher looking at both clients and volunteers because mm, I think yeah. that often you know as we've said the previous studies have been quite top down in terms of academics writing them and it being focused on that side of it and then I think we don't want to also have a focus that's completely on the client side you know you need to actually see how the people on the ground that are running it the volunteers see it working because they're the actual ones that really see where there's issues or certain things that aren't working or certain things that could be working better so really looking forward to reading your research on this Thank Thank you so much for joining us and I'm sure we will catch up with you again soon. Great, thank you.